passage that I've had on my heart, and it's, been, it's just been rumbling all week, is, is the passage where Jesus said, take heed how you listen. Listening isn't just simply the act of hearing something, but Jesus is making the point that we need to actually take heed in the way that we listen to what God is speaking. In other words, it's not just something casual. It's not just something that we kind of do and take for granted for. He's underlying that there may be all sorts of sounds all around us that we may hear, but there is a way that when God is moving, there's a way that he wants us to take heed how we listen. There were people, as we know, that were with the Apostle Paul, and their response to what he was speaking was, you almost persuade me. We'll hear you again on this matter. And as we know, there was never another time. He needed to take heed how he listened. That led me to Matthew 16, where Jesus had just fed the 4,000. He's preaching, he's teaching, he's speaking. And the Pharisees come up to him, and amazingly, in the midst of all of this, they come to him and they say, Lord, show us a sign. Even their perception, they had missed the miracle that had happened. They're asking Jesus to show them a sign. And Jesus says, you are hypocrites. And he says, this is my paraphrase, but he says, you can look up at the sky. You can discern the times. You can discern the seasons. And then he says, how is it that you can't discern the times? And he said, I'm not going to give you a sign. He said, the only sign that will be given is the sign of the prophet Jonah. And we know that Jonah was sent to Nineveh, and he was sent to preach and to prophesy to that city. In other words, what Jesus was saying is, you need to reevaluate really, not just how you're looking at things, but really how you're hearing and how you're perceiving. Because there's something else, and if you're looking for more signs, you're looking for God to do something because you think you're entitled for God to come down and do some more tricks for you, and then you'll make the decision whether you're going to believe his word, whether you're going to step out in faith, whether you're going to respond to what God is doing in your life. God is saying, no, nobody's entitled to that. I'm waiting to hear whether you're going to take heed how you listen. And if you do that, then revelation can begin to unfold in your life. I was reading in a couple of different places about the difference between hearing and listening, and I wanted to point them out. And I want to say ahead of time, I'm not trying to make more of this, this point than really needs to be made, but I, I thought it was interesting, and I know that we can use the words hearing and listening interchangeably in the English, but I did want to point out a couple of things that I read. This is from like the Cambridge Dictionary, Merriam-Webster, hearing would most be categorized more as an event, whereas listening is an action. Take heed how you listen. To hear can mean simply to physically experience a sound, whereas to listen means to deliberately apply your ability to hear. You pay attention, you focus in. So again, I know there's overlap. I can hear my father when I was a teenager looking at me and saying, did you hear what I told you? And I know that what he was really meaning was, why aren't you listening to what I said and obeying? Amen? So I know we can use those things interchangeably, but that there is something about truly listening that involves an active engagement. It's, it, it, you have to pay attention. 
it costs us something. And oftentimes, what it costs us is our own ideas. If it's truly going to be God's anointed truth, His Spirit moving in our lives, Lord, whatever you're doing right now, throw out my timeline and everything. I'm ready to receive exactly what you want to do right now. Now, I do want to point out also that I think that this presupposes something, and that presupposes that we have the ability to simply listen and pay attention and then understand everything. And I don't think that that is completely proven. I think there's an assumption. And what I would encourage you to do is if you've got a copy of Building Christian Character, I think it shares it a lot better. My purpose here is not to do a teaching on a section that you can find in there called a hearing ear. But I do want to say that everything that I've been feeling, I know that I can look back in my life at a formative time in my life in so many other ways where I believe that teaching that Brother Blair gave, the revelation that is behind the things that I'm sharing, I believe that's where that came from. Amen? And rather than do a teaching on it, I would encourage you after this meeting that you go and you find that section. I believe it's in the section that deals with honor and dishonor. And read that section about having a hearing ear because I believe that it does show things that I feel like are going to be incredibly important. So if I'm unclear today, it's not because of, uh, it's not because of the original revelation, but I do believe that there's something there that God would show us. And I don't believe that you could read that and come away and say that we're able to simply apply our own understanding and be able to totally understand everything. We may see it on some level, but there is a spiritual understanding that comes when we listen in a way that is aided by the power of the Spirit, and it works through humility. The one example that comes to me, and I think we know it very well, is the example that Brother Blair uses in there of this man... Um, and he was a missionary to China. And this man spoke Mandarin fluently. They said that, uh, from what I understand, if someone actually could not see his face but hear him speak, they would have said that he was a, that was a native. And so one day he's on a journey, and he loses his way. So he sees two, two Chinese men walking his way, and he walks up to them and he ask, asks them direction in Mandarin. And they both look at him. And they frown, and so he asks the question again, how do you get to so-and-so? And they look at him again, and they both make signs like, I, I don't get this. And they turn and just walk away from him. And he hears one of the men say to the other, isn't that amazing? It almost sounded like that American asked in Chinese the directions to such-and-such such a city. They heard. They actually even listened. But as Brother Blair shares, there are presuppositions that we have. There are cultural frameworks. There are our own ideas that can oftentimes prevent us from truly hearing and understanding what is going on. We can do that in the natural, in something like that, but we can absolutely do it in the spirit that we have our own ideas of things. And when God is coming, trying to move, we can say, but, but I thought this and I thought that. Somehow we put those things and our ideas in front of of what God would reveal to us, and, and we don't really truly get what God is speaking. I know I've experienced that in my own life. I can think of times where I've had conversations with brothers who have discipled me, and to sit and listen, to discuss, to hear something, maybe it would be guidance or counsel, 
to not, to not be resistant of it in any way, but just to, to talk, to walk away and only realize later, oh, God, I totally, I did not understand what you were really trying to speak to me there. I didn't get it. My own understanding thought that it meant this and that meant, that meant something else than what you were really trying to do. Am I the only one that's ever felt that? Will you just say, God, thank you for opening the eyes of my understanding, but I, I wish that I'd been more able to listen to what you were speaking at that time. Sometimes in my life, it would have spared me some pain. That's why we take heed how we listen. So biblically, you can read it in Isaiah 6, where there's a way to be hearing, but never understanding. Seeing and yet not perceiving. And that our ears can become dull. You can read it in Matthew 13, where Jesus quoted those very words from the prophet Isaiah. We can hear and yet somehow fail to understand. And I'll tell you, I've been praying this week. I've been thinking about the the times that we live in, the turbulent times, and I've been praying, saying, God, please, we need to hear your word. We need to hear your voice. We need you to continue to shine your light on our pathway to show us the steps that we're to take. God, you have a purpose and a plan for each one of us. And God, help us to listen, to help us to hear your voice. And this is the passage that that I felt the, the Lord led me to. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. And it goes on to say, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? I hope there's nobody here tonight that's here for any other reason than that God led them here and that they want more of God. God's been moving in our lives. He's been speaking to us. He has a purpose and a plan. I look back on my life and I see so many things. And just as we sang in that song, all my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. God, at just the right time when I was powerless, you came and you spoke to me here. God, at just the right time, you you opened this door. You made this possible. God, look what you did in my life. And I'll tell you, that's not so to simply help us to feel entitled. That's to help us feel this fear that says, God, to him who much is given, much is required. God, why have you chosen to speak to me? What are you doing in my life? My life has a purpose. My life has a plan. And I want to discover it. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed because it is easy in this world to simply drift away to let the cares of of this life choke out the seed of the Word of God that's been planted in our life. To heed, it means to hold the mind. means to pay attention, and it means means to bring near. Those are some of the meanings of that word in the Greek. You you have this feeling that when God is speaking, that you want to reach out and bring it near to you. You want to grab a hold of it. You, you don't want to let that moment pass you by. You want, to, you, want to, you want to pray and say, God, please let me get every bit of this. Amen? Just like those men on the road to Emmaus. They didn't yet know that it was Jesus who was with them. But when he would have gone on, they laid a hold of him and they said, no, 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 please stay with us. And then he was made known to them. Their eyes were open in the breaking of the bread. And that's when they could say, my heart was burning within me. Wasn't yours? 
Amen. That's my paraphrase. Amen. That's when you know that God has been speaking to you and you're really starting to hear and truly understand. To drift away. I read about that word in the Greek. This is from the Complete Word Study Bible. A gradual and almost unnoticed movement past a certain point. God had points in our lives, pivot points, critical moments in our lives that everything is hanging on what we will do with that, with that, that decision that we make, the things that God is trying to speak to us. I look back and I see things in my life, those points where my entire life and purpose was hanging on this moment. And I look back now and I thank God sometimes. I say, it's nothing but a miracle of your grace, God, that somehow I heard your word. And even though I could never have seen the implications fully, somehow you helped me to take a step of obedience. Oftentimes it was in the face of denying my own ideas It was in the face of having to overcome fears, the voice inside of you that says, if you do this, then that means that and this, and to know, God, you're speaking to me right here. Or it's easy to back up just a little bit. And in that moment, you can wait. You can say, I'm almost persuaded. You can say, I'd like to hear you again on this matter. And you can gradually and slowly drift past that point. And it's not so easy to get back to those points after. Made me think of a relative that I've got, and they shared with me a story one time. I want to share it with you. You all know that I'm, I'm originally from Canada, and they were telling me about a time in their, their I, th- I believe they were in their late teens, and they were up on the eastern coast of Canada, up near Newfoundland, where a lot of my relatives were from, and they were, they were actually just watching a, a young group of children. And they were right there on, this, on this, this beachfront, and some of the children's parents were there, but they were kind of babysitting and watching the kids. The adults were doing various things, and they decided, that the younger people decided they had a few young children. They had one teenager, maybe about 14, and then my relative was helping to watch him, and they decided, let's go in and try to swim. And if you've ever tried to swim in northern Canadian waters, I think you'll know that it's, uh, it's a brisk experience, to say the least. And it's, it may also be a brief experience if you jump in. <laughs> you'll jump right back out. Well, they, they encountered that. So they looked over, and they see, this, they see this little rubber raft, and they think, well, that's a way we can get out on the water. And so they jump into that. I had a couple of oars, and they, they piled the three much younger kids in. And then the, the you know, 13 or 14-year-old young girl jumped in, and they, they started rowing out. And, I mean, the waves were just barely coming in, and they were having a wonderful time. And as they recounted the story, they said that at one point, you know, they started attending to one of the kids who was doing something. You know, they had something on the, you know, they're trying to get their sandal off or get it back on. And it's like they looked up and they went, have we drifted, like, pretty fast from the shore? And they said in that moment, looking back on it, it was like they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't dwell on that. They didn't heed it and take heed about what they were seeing and what might be happening. Many times, that's the voice of the Lord that's trying to speak something to us. And so they went on and they continued to try to work with one of the children and they looked up again and then they knew, oh my, we are moving fast. And yet amazingly, 
rather than recognizing this is the time to cry for help. There are people that could hear you right there. This is the time to say, hang on, something's happening. They had drifted into this rip current. What would later happen, what we'd realize was that rip current led to a major current of the ocean that was moving incredibly fast. But when they recognized, oh my, they, they took confidence in their oars. And they said, well, I've got the oars. I'll just row back in. And they finished taking care of what they thought was important at the time. When they looked up again, at that point, a panic set in. And they realized, this is, this is beyond, I, I, I could call. I'm not even sure with the wind. I'm not, I, I don't even think I'm going to be heard. And so at that point, I think in hindsight, they should have stood up and started waving their hands or doing something like that. But instead, they just bent down and they started rowing according to their own strength. And at that point, it was too late in that sense. They, had, they rowed for everything, and yet they had passed to that point. They had not taken heed. They had overestimated their own abilities, their own strengths. Amen? And they had underestimated by far the power and the strength of the sea. And they took chances with the sea. So this, my relative started rowing, and they said it was absolutely of no avail. They were a very strong competitive swimmer. They were a lifeguard. They said, I know what I can do. I think I can kick this boat into shore faster than I can row. They jumped into that water, and within 30 seconds, they said, they realized that if they stayed in the water even a few more minutes, they were going to completely lose feeling on their legs. It was far colder out there. Thank God that one of the adults looked up, couldn't see them, and at first thought that the boat had sank, looked way out, and couldn't even totally perceive through the sun and everything else a little speck out there and had to run, go, try to summon help. Now, the story does have a happy ending because it was hours later that the Canadian Coast Guard rescued them. But you can imagine being on that raft. This would have been back in the 90s. They didn't have a cell phone. There was nothing they could do but sit there on that boat and ponder what they should have done at that point had they only taken heed and listened and discerned the times. I'll tell you, we live in perilous times and that is why I believe God is speaking to us and telling us, take heed how you listen. So what we want to pray for, what I've been praying all week, and I hope you feel it too, is to pray, God, there are so many things that are happening in this world. There are so many turbulent waters that are taking place right now, turbulent waters all over the world. You are definitely hearing rumors of war and wars that are going on all the time. There are all kinds of whirlpools of ideas and thoughts and things that are threatening to suck us down that are just going to take us off the course or even drown us. All kinds of ideas and thoughts and this and that pointing us everywhere. There are currents of culture, currents of history, currents of political moves and social moves and everything that I'll tell you, if we get in pulled into those types of things, we know that they can pull us off, and that's why we're praying tonight. We're praying right during this time, and we're saying, God, we need to hear your voice. Lord, please release us, God, amen, into a place of faith and obedience where we can hear your voice. 
Amen. And that we can respond to it. And that's something like it says in Isaiah where it says that you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. That's what we're praying, aren't we? We're praying. We're saying, God, let us hear that voice. Open our ears so that we may hear it. And then when you say, this is the way. Walk in it. Help us not to question that. Help us not to doubt that. Help us to move in faith to do what you're telling us to do. As I considered all this, I thought about Abraham. He heard a voice, and he was willing to go out from his culture, from his ideas. We know the story so well. I hardly need to repeat it to some of you, but I know that he heard that voice, and he went out not knowing where he was going, but he trusted that voice. He did not trust himself. And that's why Paul, when he recounted that, he said these were Abraham's steps of faith. You can't read his story without knowing these steps of faith. These weren't things that were easy that he saw. I already said it. He went out not knowing where he was going. These were steps of obedience. They necessitated that he hear God's voice and do his will. When he finally came to the place, after all of that, that God looked at him, and amazingly, rather than saying, you did great, everything's wonderful. He came to him and he said, Abraham, if you please, would you offer me your only son? And we know the struggle that Abraham faced in his life, but he trusted God. And as he made his way up that mountain, when his son asked him the question, where's the sacrifice? He knew deep, deep in his heart, and it could come out of his mouth, Yahweh will provide. God is the one who sees ahead. I don't see. I don't understand. But I know that God does. And so I'm obeying him. His obedience and his steps of faith caused God to look at him and say, now I know that you fear me. Now I know there's something that you've done that, have stepped, that has caused you to step across that line and into this deep relationship with me. And then in verse 18, he says, In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And that's critical to what we're talking about here tonight. He says that Abraham obeyed his voice. Does anybody know what that word in the Hebrew actually means? It's the word, if you look it up, you can look it up even in something as simple as the Strong's. It means to hear. It means to hear, to give attention. And it's also been written that it can say to come under the hearing of. And yet it's translated as obey. The original, the understanding, the biblical understanding of hearing doesn't just mean an event as we talked about. It actually is synonymous with obedience. According to the Bible, if you say you hear and yet you fail to obey what God is speaking, then you haven't really heard him in the way that God is really trying to speak to you. A couple of more passages that help to outline what it truly means to hear. If you read in John 8, Jesus is performing miracles once again. The Pharisees are coming. They're questioning him. They're asking him all these things. And in verse 43, Jesus looks at him. This is a combination of several different versions uh, of, of these passages, uh, biblical translations. 
Jesus answered them in verse 43. Why do you misunderstand my words? It's because you're unable to listen to what I'm saying. But they were hearing him, right? He was speaking. He was moving, and yet somehow they're asking him, and they're questioning him, and Jesus is looking at him and saying, why can't you, why don't you, why are you misunderstanding what I'm saying? You're not able to listen. And then in verse 47, Jesus concludes it by saying, he who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you don't hear because you don't belong to God. That's how the NIV translates it. So to truly hear, as we just saw, means to obey in the Hebrew. They're synonymous. To truly hear God means that you've got to belong to Him. You've got to come to a place where you recognize that you're not your own, that you've been bought with a price. It's not your plans or my plans. It's not your ideas or my ideas. We recognize that Jesus paid the ultimate price for us and that if we're going to become a follower of Jesus and walk in his footsteps, then we're going to have to surrender to his design, surrender to his purpose, his plan. And that, in that sense, we can't belong to ourselves. We can't hold those things back. We've got to belong to him fully. If there's things in our lives that we say, God, I hear you and I will obey you, I'll do everything. Let me just first do it like this. As they said to Jesus, Jesus was there. I don't have a place to lay my head. I'll follow you, Lord. He says, no, I don't even have a place to lay my head. And they said, Lord, I, I, okay, I'll do it. Just let me go do this first. We don't belong to God when we're putting our timetable, our plans ahead of what God is truly speaking to us. If you read it, I would submit to you that I don't see anything that they were wanting to do that was bad in and of itself. In fact, I think you could say that it was very good what they wanted to do. The problem was they weren't there ready to receive what God was doing right there and set aside their understanding. Instead, they were still looking at Jesus, feeling his call, feeling him speak, hearing him speak, and yet they were saying, ah, let me just go do this first, okay, and then I'll do it. And Jesus continued on down the road, and we don't hear about those people anymore, do we? They never heard from him again on those matters. The reason why they could not hear was because to truly hear, we've got to belong to God fully. You go back to John chapter 7, and everyone is marveling at Jesus' doctrine. And in their minds, you know, they're trying to figure out where all this is coming from. They're saying, where, where did this man learn this? And, you know, how often we're hearing God, and yet we're still trying to figure that out. I look back now, and I think about times, even when I was my teens, and I, I, can, I can picture my father speaking to me, and knowing what I know now, looking back and realizing that I, I was really trying to figure out, where is he going? What, what, what is he trying to speak here? And in that case, I didn't really belong to God. I wasn't, I wasn't just coming under the hearing of and saying, look, I, I'm going to obey this. I'm, I'm trusting you, Dad. I trust this relationship. And therefore, I missed really hearing what God was speaking. But thank God for his grace and his mercy. Amen. That reaches down to us and eventually brings that voice that says, this is the way. Walk in it. Amen. And he gives his grace to, to obey and to respond. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 
So in John 7 and verse 17, as they're all trying to figure it out, Jesus says, if anyone wills to do his will, speaking of the Father's will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is of God. So to truly listen and to understand, we've got to will to do his will. And if you're trying to listen and you're trying to glean the things that God might want to speak to in your life, but you're really not sure that you're going, you're, you're all the way willing to do whatever God would ask, then you can't be a son of Abraham and you can't be a child of God ultimately. So God wants to lead us into his perfect will during these turbulent times. Let's not drift away. Let's take heed. Let's, let's look at the time that we're in right now and let's determine that God is moving through all of these tumultuous events. Last year was a year like no other that I can remember. There are things that are shifting culturally and politically around the world. And you feel like we've got a time right now as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to discern the times, to hear his voice, truly what he is speaking and then to obey. And we could miss that point. One last passage of Scripture before I share with you one other story. This is Jesus in John 10. The sheep follow the shepherd, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus continues in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And a little later, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known by my own. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring and they will hear my voice and there will be one flock. There will be one shepherd. We're not going to be sheep having gone astray as the prophet Isaiah said. We're not all going to be going in our own direction. There's a time that has been prophesied by the prophets for millennia that God is going to begin to gather his sheep from all over. He is going to bring them together. Amen? And, that, and what is going to come is a breach maker. Amen? That the flock is going to be able to go out into new pastures. Amen? And right now, Jesus, you feel by his voice, is trying to lead us. He's trying to lead us in his path. And he's trying to lead us away from certain dangers. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, ne never. Neither shall anyone snatch them from my hand. We won't be snatched from his hand, not because we're entitled. We won't be snatched from his hand because a voice of a stranger we will not follow. We've determined in our hearts, God, I want to hear your voice, and I want to know what that sounds like. Amen. I want to attune my ear. I want to attune my heart. I want to make sure that I'm taking heed how I listen. And when I hear your voice, I'm going to believe that it is you leading and guiding me. Can I share with you a, a story that I read? Everybody have the grace for that? It's a true story. Some of this you could probably look up and do your own research on. Some of it you may have a hard time because some aspects are written in books that aren't readily available. It's 1902. The story that I'm, I'm going to share with you takes place in 1902. 
And there was, a, there was an island in the Lesser Antilles, south of, uh, or the West Indies, I guess you could say in general, south of Puerto Rico called Martinique. On that, there was a mountain, Mount Pele, as I, I believe how you would pronounce it. I, want, I wrote down a few statistics on it, and I, I'm going to be looking at it. So in 1902, Martinique, and especially the town of Saint-Pierre, was absolutely thriving. They said that at that time, Saint-Pierre was called the Paris of the Caribbean, and it was referred to as the cultural capital of that region. It was known as the vacation destination for very wealthy Europeans, right? People were flocking there. The town of Saint-Pierre, 30,000 people, and it would be a little bit less than that, but the, uh, the population, especially during the, the months that Europeans would want to be away from the, the continent, they would be over there, and it would just swell. It was known, and you can read this in various accounts of people who lived there during that time, and you would know it was, a, it was known as sort of having the spirit of Mardi Gras all the time. It was known and Christians, I think, would, would have described it as debauched. People were given to their pleasures. They were given to absolutely uh, indulging in, in every pleasure, fleshly pleasure that they wanted. And that's, that's what the city was known for. Thank you, Jesus. And yet in 1902, on May the 8th, it experienced one of the most deadly volcano disasters that's ever been recorded. I believe it was, uh, some accounts I've said, I, I haven't thoroughly researched this, but some accounts say that it was the deadliest volcano tragedy in, in the uh, 20th century. Amen. So here's my point. God is speaking to us about taking heed how we listen and discerning the times. Two weeks prior to its eruption, there were all sorts of signs that were going on. There were rumblings and shakings, and people were asking questions about it, and yet people continued to, f to f come into the city. There was a couple of times where it would rumble, and then in the morning, the city would be covered in ash. Livestock were starting to die and things like that, and people were becoming very afraid, and yet only a few people left the city, and in fact, during this time, the population of that town actually swelled by several thousand. Amen? People from the surrounding area began to come into the perceived safety of the city. Why? Because they were hearing a voice. The newspapers were telling them, everything is safe. There is absolutely no problems. They sent a group of experts up to examine the mountain, and they came down, and they said, listen, the danger of what we're facing here is a lava uh, slide, if you will. And guess what? There's the mountain and there's two complete valleys between us and our city. We're safe. Those were the voices that most of the people in the surrounding region chose to listen to. And they fled into what they thought was the perceived safety of the city. Soon after that, as people kept pouring in, there was this mudslide that resulted from some of it. it. It killed 150 people. Some of the things that I'm going to share with you in this story, they're not pleasant to talk about. They're heavy, and I don't, on one level, I don't think it's pleasant. But I think that we need to hear what God would speak to us through it 
because I believe it would underline why we need to hear the voice of God. And I also hope to show you how God led certain people through this time. Amen. So they'd have fire flashes at night, and people were looking up into the, at that mountain and thinking, I mean, it's flashing, and it's, you know, and, and they were continuing to get worried. And yet, the voices were telling them everything was okay. A couple of tsunamis that happened. Washed people out. Still, more people filling into the city. And then, on the morning of, I believe it was May the 8th, a telegraph oper operator who was reporting on the condition of the mountain, they sent down... No unusual activity. The mayor even said, I'm staying in the city. And less than seven, about seven minutes later, the side of the mountain erupted. And what happened wasn't that the lava made it to them. What happened was is a hundred plus mile an hour wind that was heated to temperatures over a thousand degrees, filled with cinders and ash, swept across that town blew all of the buildings down in its gale force winds, lit fires everywhere. This, this eruption, by the way, it, was, it, it, it caused uh, embers were falling on islands over 100 miles away and starting brush fires over there. There was activity, uh, electromagnetic activity that was detected all the way in Siberia. This was a, I mean, it affected weather for months to come. It was an incredible event that took place. And this hot gas swept through the town, and in three minutes, 30,000 people perished. I couldn't believe it when I read it. 30,000 people. Amen. But I want to tell you about three, three or four different accounts and how their stories intersect. Amen? Because I believe that God is trying to speak to his people now. Amen? Jesus held out the option for believers that when they see these things, that they could flee to the mountains. Amen? So there was one man, I read about him, he was a ship operator, and even though there were 12 boats, including passenger ships that were docked in the harbor there, he had half his load of sugar, he had all of his vendors telling him, don't leave yet, and he said, I'm out of here. The governor came and the port authority, and they said, you're not, you're not permitted to leave. And he kept, he just pulled up his anchor. And then they said, if you leave, we're going to arrest you. And he sailed out of there, and he saved his life in doing so. Amen? But I want to tell you about a couple of other stories. I read about these in some old books, and I, 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 you know, I've looked for them in other places, these accounts. It's not something you can find just by doing a quick search on the Internet. And yet I was sitting there thinking, God, thank you that these people had the foresight to write some of these things down because they can be for our benefit today. Amen? So I read about these two Canadians. They were missionaries. They felt called to go to that city, and they're sailing into port. They arrive at port, and the authorities say, what are you here for? And they say, we feel like the Lord sent us to preach the gospel. We're missionaries. And to give you the idea of what the city was like at that time, they said, no, you won't. You're not stepping foot in here if that's what you're doing. You're going to stay on this ship, and when it sails out in three days, you're going with it. So here are these people that said, God, what are you doing? We thought that you were sending us here. We felt like we felt a burden. And yet somehow at that time, they were prevented from going in. You can imagine that they were saying at that time, God, 
what are you doing? God, what's your voice speaking to us? They may have contemplated, how can I get around this? You know, what can I do to get there? I'll do anything. And yet somehow you know that, that they, they must have felt that, that sense that says, God, I've got to wait on you. I've got to see what are you doing? What are you speaking to me? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Meanwhile, there's another man. He's an American, and he's a missionary that's stationed in the island of Barbados. And he had a habit of every few months, he would send letters ahead. Apparently, there was very little means of communicating between some of these churches on the island. And this man would send a letter ahead on the steamship that had a regular schedule between all these, these islands. And this inter-island steamship would go and deliver letters, and he would tell them ahead of time, I'll be here on that date that that ship arrives, and those believers would gather together for meetings with him. And it was an, always a, a wonderful and incredible time. And this man had already sent out his letters, and somewhere around the beginning of, of May, he's preparing to leave on this ship and there's people that are coming to him, including his wife, and they're saying, I don't know what it is, but when I pray, I just keep feeling this deep concern that you're not supposed to go. And this man, he looked at all of the things in the natural at first, and he said, I can't not go. There are people that are waiting for me. There's, there's a church that's waiting for me in St. Pierre. I have no way to get them a message that I'm going to not. They're going to have gathered. They are going to have gotten preparations made. And I'm not going to miss that. And thank God, right before he left, his wife said, I followed you everywhere, and I'm going to pray for you. I'll support you if you really feel that you've got to go. But I have a feeling in my heart that if you go, I'll never see you again. And he went and prayed again, and somehow, through the eyes of faith, not through sight, not through his own understanding, he was able to perceive and hear the voice of God telling him, wait don't go. You trust me for how this situation is going to work out. Unbeknownst to him, the church that is in St. Pierre is looking around at what's happening in the city, and they're beginning to talk, and they're saying, is God speaking to us that it's time for us to get out of this city? Is God speaking to us that it's time to move? Are we hearing his voice right? And then they were hoping to have some meetings, to get God's voice and his perspective. And yet, as they began to see what was happening with that volcano, they began to say, is God not speaking to us that it's time for us to flee now? That was in the face of thousands of people fleeing into the city. That was against the voices that were telling them that it was safe and it was okay. And yet, they were saying in their hearts at that time, God is speaking to us. And you know what their one regret was and their own only concern was? That missionary, that pastor that was going to be coming for the meeting, they fretted about it. They said, he's going to arrive and we're not going to be here. So they wrote letters. They, they entrusted it to a few people, and they had very little confidence those people would actually deliver the letter to this man. But they said, please do, and they left. They got out. They fled. So on the morning that it erupted, there was a steamship that was leaving with two Canadian missionaries who were still praying, saying, God, what was the, why did you turn us around? What are you doing? And when it blew, the church that had relocated, their only thought was, oh, God, Pastor Hartman, I believe his name was, he's perished. 
Every ship was sunk and lost, no lives. 30,000, as I said, were, were lost in three minutes. Most of them not buried in ash, most of them not like that. Literally, the wind killed them. Over a thousand degrees. And many of them, they say that you could tell that they, had, they never knew what hit them in the aftermath, the rescuers that went in. So a ship is leaving with two Canadian missionaries who'd been thwarted, so they thought. The church is mourning the loss of the pastor. And once the word reaches Barbados, he's mourning the loss of the church. They said with all of the tumult and everything, it wasn't for another two months before they learned that by heeding the voice of God, God had seen ahead. The God who sees ahead and provides because they trusted him. Amen. He had seen it to lead them. Amen. Besides still waters. Amen. And to green pastures. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, God. Amen. God, I feel such gratitude when I think of it. God, his mercy and his faithfulness. Thank you, Jesus. If we'll just hear, if we'll just obey. Thank you, Jesus. Those two missionaries, all the cinders fell on their boat. It was completely on fire, and they helped fight that, and they limped into, I can't remember what the next island they went, but they made it safely to that next island. The ship was basically a loss by the time they pulled in, but they were safe. Don't you know they must have been worshiping God at that time? Thank you, Jesus, God. Don't you know they must have been saying, God, now we see what you were doing, God. Thank you. Amen. This was a test, and somehow we passed it. Thank you, Jesus, God. Amen. Listen to this passage from Isaiah 50. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. Amen? There's a sense that if we're truly going to let God awaken our ears, we've got we to put aside all rebellion. We've got to put aside our will. We're not going to turn away from what God is truly speaking, even if we don't understand it. We're going to feel our hearts burning inside of us, and we're going to say, God, I know you're going to show me down the road what you're doing here. I know it, but I trust you. There's nothing I withhold from you, God. Amen. I trust you. You're my everything. And you know what? That passage from Isaiah, that was, that was a prophecy of the Messiah that was going to come. As Hebrews said, he was the captain of our salvation. Amen. He was the firstborn of many brethren. That's, that's the voice of the good shepherd. Amen. That will then come to us and he'll awaken our ear. He's going to awaken something in us. Let's not turn away when we hear his voice. Thank you, Jesus. Psalm 40. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ear you have opened. I delight to do your will. Oh, my God. Your law is written in my heart. You can feel God wanting to get us past all of the things, how we relate to God, where we say, God, is this what you want? And we, we offer a little sacrifice here. Is that, is that enough? We push things out in front of us, right, to hope that that's going to be enough. And the whole time the Lord is saying, I love you. I'm trying to lead you. Just get totally identified with my sacrifice. Just give me everything. Belong to me. Will to do my will. And let me show you how I'm going to lead you. Amen. You don't need to be afraid of the things that are happening all around you. You don't need to be afraid and concerned about what might happen up ahead. You can just hear my voice. You can heed it. You can listen. Amen. And I can lead you in the way everlasting. Thank you, Jesus. 
It's repeated by the writer of Hebrews. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. But instead of saying, my ear you have opened, what did he say? A body you have prepared. The fulfillment of that was that God was raising up a body of believers. He's working on a body here, that word for prepare. It's the same word Paul uses in, in, in Ephesians when he talks about the fivefold ministry equipping the saints for their work of ministry. God has called each one of us in this room to a path, a plan, and to a work of ministry. A body he has prepared and a body he is preparing. He's preparing a body here in Waco, Texas. He's preparing a body in New Zealand. He's preparing a body in South Africa, across this country, and in other places around the world, even ones that we do not yet see. There are people that are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. They are experiencing a famine, and it is not a famine of bread. It's a famine of hearing the Word of God. Amen. If they say, God, attune my ear, God, let me be careful how I listen. Don't you know that God is going to satisfy that hunger? Amen. He's going to satisfy that hunger with the Word of God and the bread of life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So we do see rumblings, don't we? We do see shakings all around us. Amen. We do see signs that make us say, God, what, what are we to do? But we know that we hear the voice of the good shepherd behind us. And he's saying, this is the way, walk in it. Amen. You believe he's going to reveal his will to us? Amen. His purpose?